So I know this is your favorite Sunday of the year because um, we get to multitask a little bit. Uh, we need to have a business meeting. Isn't that exciting? We have a little business meeting at church this morning to satisfy the state of Kentucky. They have some regulations about us being an incorporation, so we've got to figure that out. Plus, we get to think and talk a little bit about money, which is awesome. It's awesome. Um, there are so many cool things that have happened in 2023 around here. Opportunities for ministry, which wouldn't have been possible without your generosity. Um, several in our family in 2023 were able to travel to other countries to work alongside some of our missionary partners. I don't, I don't know how many people are going to do this, but stand up if you went out of the country this past year on a trip. Anybody? <laughs> I think there's some. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Um, I, I had no idea how many people would be in here that had done that. But you all, we all made this possible for them to go. Uh, for example, those who went on the medical brigade to Honduras paid $1,000 each to go on that trip. But the real cost of the trip was 2500 You helped make that trip affordable for those, for those folks that went. We had about 50 couples participate in an event aimed at celebrating marriage. This is the first time we ever tried anything like that before. And it was a great night to spend together. Uh, today, as I already mentioned, we have some, some people at Winterfest. I think there are 24 high school kids and six adults trying to corral those 24 um, in Gatlinburg all weekend. Several of our students in our children's ministry were baptized this past year. But I'll tell you an area where we made significant strides is in the area of ministry to and for women. A few Sunday morning classes have been on the adult ed schedule in 2023 specifically for women. A Wednesday night opportunity uh, for women has been going on for a while. Uh, we hosted a retreat in April the past two years, and two retreats are planned this year for 2024, one in April, another one in the fall. All of these opportunities are fairly new, and they're being overseen by Melissa Dyer, the, the women's ministry leader. Um, we have five full-time ministers one part-time minister, and a full-time receptionist on our team here. All of our staff make a living because of your generosity. So on behalf of all of us, I want to say thank you for that. To, to be able to focus on ministry to this church family and to our community is the greatest of privileges. And we are honored to represent Southside wherever we find ourselves. So here's a little graph to throw up here. Here's a quick overview of our finances for 2023. Uh, we had $945,000 in expenses, which was $40,000 under what we budgeted to spend, and we received about $900,000 in donations, about $45,000 below expenses. And we continue to have a year's worth of expenses you know, set aside. Uh, so giving was down a little bit this year. I'm not sure why, except that everything costs more all the time. Uh, each of us has most likely been spending more to live day to day. People have less money at the end of the month than they used to. Most all of us are running a tighter ship. Uh, for our church expenditures, uh, we do our best to monitor the outflow, but our costs are also rising. For example, just one thing, our property insurance went up 20%. Uh, it's like $22,000 to insure this property that we're on uh, right here. Our value is maybe 5 to $6 million to do that. All of the uh, deductibles went up, so... You know, that, that's, a, that's a pretty big hit. And other building expenses have experienced similar kind of increases like, like you have in your home. 
So taking care of this facility where we meet each Sunday and Wednesday will cost more than it did last year. To have this building available with heat and air and electricity and gas and furniture, uh, to have it available for our life groups to meet in, for uh, our Alcoholic Anonymous groups that meet on Monday and Thursday nights. We have a Christian Chinese group that meets here on Fridays. Uh, we have some one-off kind of events, Solid Rock, the Celebrate Marriage deal, the retreats, Galentines. I mean, it all, it all costs more than it ever has. And the bottom line is, Nobody gets all that jazzed about paying utility bills. <laughs> you know, that's not fun. That's not fun. But we have about 30,000 square feet to keep clean and operational and heated and cooled. And we have a parking lot out here that when it gets snow or ice on it, we have to pay to clear that off. And it just takes a lot, you know, to keep things running. So as a church family, we've experienced the same kind of thing in taking care of our home here at 1533 Nicholasville Road as you have experienced at your home address. Everything costs more. And I want you to know, as a church, we're in a good place financially. Uh, We can pay our bills. We can meet payroll, keep the building maintained, and offer experiences for a wide variety of ministry for people every age, all because of your gifts. When it comes to giving, we have uh, four different platforms. Uh, You can give through Church Center, which is the platform you opened up earlier this morning. Uh, You just follow the giving prompts. It's very simple to do. Uh, We still have our mobile app platform called Vanco Mobile. You can find that on the App Store. You can give through your bank using online bill pay uh, or through some of you use Zelle, uh, which is a kind of a transfer of money from one bank to another's. You can mail a check to our office. You can place a check in a basket around the building. Um, I want you to understand both the Church Center app and the Vanco app charge a fee to us of about 3.5%. That's if you use a credit card to do that. So giving through your bank has no fee, and of course, uh, donating a check comes with no fee. Um, So we have several options to give to this church family. But again, thank you for all you do financially. Uh, We've made some copies of these copies. This is our 2024 budget. Uh, There's some out this door and some out this door. If you're interested to pick that up, if you have any questions about it, you can talk to to Dale or myself. Uh, But feel free to pick one of those up. When Mary and I moved into the house that we currently live in, we kept our other house as a rental property. We had a plan for the rental income, which involved paying down the mortgage on our new home fairly quickly. And it was a good plan. I shared it with a few people, and they seemed to think it was a good idea. But you know what? God also had a plan. And the problem was that his plan was a little different than our plan. In year two of our rental situation, the family that was living there experienced a divorce. And the husband took off and left his wife behind with four children, ages 2 to 13, and a significant drop in income. We knew they wouldn't find a house with four bedrooms in the Dunbar School District that they could afford. We knew they didn't need to move Um, right then the divorce was bad enough we knew staying in the same house would be helpful to the kids we also knew if we were gonna if they were gonna stay there we would have to drop the rent significantly so there you have it (laughs) it was our plan versus God's plan and this was one of those pivotal moments that comes our way every now and then a moment which could steer our lives toward generosity trust and compassion or steer us towards an allegiance to money. And the truth at stake was this, whom will you serve, God or money? We can't serve both in that moment. 
So maybe, maybe you've had a pivotal moment that centered on money in your life, a moment where God made some facts very clear to you, a moment when the compassion and generous choice to make was unmistakably clear, but it was also a moment, even though this unmistakably clear decision was sitting right there, it was not easy to make. A moment where you're hit with the reality that you just might love money or your lifestyle more than you love God. And I wonder, have you experienced a pivotal moment like that before? It is in such a moment that a man known as the rich young ruler made a powerful discovery. Jesus reveals to him that his wealth is his master. And when the pivotal moment of truth is right there in front of him, he turns back and he goes back home to what's comfortable. And he misses out on an opportunity of a lifetime. This guy is a success. Many of us would like to be him, young, wealthy, in charge. Yet there seems to be a void. Something is missing that his wealth and his youth and his status isn't filling. Maybe it's a nagging doubt. Am I good enough? Have I done enough? Am I enough? So he comes with a question. And here's his question for Jesus in Mark 10, 17. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The key word in his question is what? The word do, isn't it? He feels like eternal life and doing are connected somehow. Maybe he isn't confident about his eternity. He may, be not, he may not be confident that he's, that he's done enough. And here's Jesus' response. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So this guy calls Jesus good, and Jesus calls him out for that. Why does Jesus respond this way? You know, good can mean different things. Perhaps this young man isn't prepared to admit the man in front of him is actually God, the ruler, the king. So he plays it safe, and he says, good teacher. This guy wants to, to know the system. He wants to be in control, and Jesus plays along. So he says, oh, you know the commands. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Don't defraud your neighbor. Honor your father and mother. And the young man interrupts before Jesus finishes with the big ten. You know, he says, teacher, I've, I've done all those things. I've kept the commandments for as long as I can remember. Can you tell me something I don't know? And don't miss this next line in the story. It's verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Let's say that together. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Sometimes we prefer lists and charts and laws because they seem so sensible. They're manageable. But laws will never love us back. Laws will only make us feel either inadequate or superior. superior. Loves will, laws will never make us feel loved. Jesus accomplishes what the law could never do. He draws us closer to God rather than creating distance from him. Everything Jesus says to this guy is spoken out of love. Look at that line again. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus loves him before he asks the question. And Jesus loves him as he makes a decision about what to do with his answer. Regardless of how generous you are, how much you give away, you're loved all the same, each of us. You're not loved less in your greedy or stingy moments. You're not loved more in your generous or selfless moments. If you hear nothing else this morning, listen to that truth. Let me say it again in case you missed it. 
You're not loved less in your greedy or stingy moments, and you're not loved more in your generous or selfless moments. What we hear next are some of the saddest words in the Bible. Verse 22, at this the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had such great wealth. In the message, it reads this way, the man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear, and he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tightly to a lot of things and not about to let go. I wonder if this young, wealthy, powerful man knew that Jesus loved him. Maybe if he had chosen a path of generosity, he would have realized how much he was loved. I don't have research to prove this, but I'll venture to say when we choose generosity in a moment or as a lifestyle, we will be more in touch with how much we're loved by a generous God. Would you think that's true? When we chose to lower the rent on our house, I mentioned earlier, I felt so privileged that God gave us the opportunity to help out this family in a very challenging season. And I felt God trusted us to do the right thing. And I didn't see that coming. Not at all. An awareness of being loved came with all of that. We would have missed out by choosing money over this family. And I believe the more we let go of money and stuff, the more we'll realize how much we're loved. Jesus' words, they break down this young man. Here's what Jesus says next. One thing you lack, sell everything you have. Do you suppose that young man was taking notes on that? (laughs) Number one, sell everything you have. And Jesus isn't done. He says, give the proceeds to the poor. And finally, he says, come and follow me. We read this today, and that doesn't even sound like the right answer to the question, does it? If someone came to you and asked, how can I have eternal life? I wouldn't tell them this, would you? But here's what Jesus knows about this guy and what he knows about us. The truth God has been trying to communicate for a long time is that he wants our love. He wants our loyalty. He wants us simply to follow him. He sent his son to establish a relationship, not a code of conduct. Jesus shows this young man that his primary loyalty is to money. And he says to him, in order for you you to connect to me, we've got to deal with your affection with money, your connection with this money. We find a very clear statement made by Jesus which answers this guy's question in John 17, 3. Jesus says, now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus says, do you want to know about eternal life? Then begin a relationship with me. Follow me. Matthew had to leave the tax collector stand. John left his boat and tackle. Jesus says to this guy, you need to leave your wealth. I'm, I'm giving you the opportunity of a lifetime. Do you see what Jesus might be doing here? It sounds like Jesus invites this guy to join the group of, 12, of the 12 disciples. He doesn't ask everybody to be a part of a circle. What an invitation, if that's what's going on. What an opportunity. In that moment, this guy realizes his primary ambition is not to discover how to have eternal life. That's his question. That may be a desire of his, but his primary ambition in life is to learn how to stay in the driver's seat, how to stay in control and use God to get what he wants. His wealth owns him. He looks at Jesus, the son of God, 
and says, no, thank you. Jesus, I have too much stuff to follow you. I can't follow you. I'm a busy man. I'm too important. I've got to manage my assets. In this pivotal moment of truth, this young man discovers his stuff owns him. His money owns him. Let's, let's be honest about this section in Mark. This encounter Jesus has with this guy makes us very uncomfortable. Because you think the application is if you really love Jesus, then you liquidate everything and, and follow him. And if you don't follow him, then are you really committed? And that kind of tension you may feel is healthy. And here's why. Nothing com- competes more for our love for Jesus than our pursuit and management of wealth. Nothing competes more for you following Jesus completely than your pursuit of a lifestyle. Nothing. And Jesus, he knows that. That's why he talks about wealth so frequently, more than anything else except the kingdom of God. There was a man that I really respected when I was a a college kid, Stanley Ship. Some of you may have older, (laughs) older folks. May remember Stanley Schiff. He used to travel around and talk to college students at retreats and stuff. And he was—he shaped a lot of my thinking. He was a real influential person uh, in his teaching. I just learned a lot from him. He shared one time about going to Calcutta, and he was talking to a group of monks in Calcutta, sitting in a circle with them. And he asked him this question. He said, "What is the biggest temptation for you guys in Calcutta?" And they said, all together, materialism. Materialism is the most significant temptations in one of the most poverty-stricken places on the planet. Stanley was amazed that that was their response. You see, from the prison to the penthouse, nothing competes for our loyalty to Jesus more than a pursuit of a certain lifestyle. That's why every once in a while you'll have a defining moment financially. That's why every now and then you'll be hit with a very clear message from God, I want you to give a big chunk of money away. That's why that family was living in our rental property when the divorce hit and when the income dropped. God needed me to face one of those pivotal moments. And you know what? This, this isn't about dollars. God doesn't need our money. Jesus didn't say liquidate it and give it to me. <laughs> no, he, he said to this young man, give it to the poor and then come and follow me because I don't want your money. I want you. I hear something very similar from college students whose parents are divorced or from kids whose parents are so busy being important in their profession that they spend little time being important to their kids. And these kids enjoy the money and the stuff and the extravagant junkets to exotic places every now and then. But honestly, what they trade all of that in for is to have some time with their dad and their mom. They need a wise and loving voice in their life, someone who really knows them, who lives life daily with them. When it comes to parenting, over the long haul, positional authority creates resentment. Relational authority, that's what a family is built on. And that sounds to me like what Jesus may be saying to this man in Mark 10. He says, I want you to love me. I want you to follow me. People who love generously give to the ones they love. When you love someone, it's amazing what you're willing to do with your money. I was a graduate student at Abilene Christian when Mary and I uh, became engaged. 
I didn't have a job. I was a student. I had this little small stipend and that kind of kept me alive. So I was in that brief season when I joined the brigade of young uh, male diamond experts. And I, I learned about the four C's, cut and clarity and color and carrot. Uh, I looked through the monocle, pretending to see the flaws pointed out to me by the jeweler, and finally settled on a couple of stones, you know, in a setting. That, that ring cost a lot of money. It was the most I had ever paid for anything in my entire life. And to this day, I still have no idea how I paid for that. But you know what? Love found a way. Aw. <laughs> Cue the aw. Love found a way. When you love someone, you'll do amazing things with your money and even your lack of money. So if in these moments you're wrestling with the message from God to you, perhaps instead of managing money, you realize your desired lifestyle kind of manages you. You don't know that until God says, let's do something highly unusual financially, like continuing to give generously in a slumping economy. We don't know what happened to this guy in Mark 10. He was probably around to hear more of Jesus' teaching. I'm sure he heard about Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection and his ascension. He could have easily been in the crowd when thousands of people put their faith in Jesus as a Savior in Acts 2. He may have even looked back on the day when he had the opportunity, opportunity to be in the middle of the action. He could have been one of the boys, Matthew, Thomas, Frank. He could have been one of the guys we named our children after. He could have been in on the center of, of all of this action going on, yet he allowed wealth to rob him of the opportunity because it owned him. The truth is, when we get to the end of our lives, not one of us is going to be laying on our deathbed and regret that we didn't spend more or borrow more or lease more or buy more. Our regrets will have nothing to do with not spending enough and not accumulating enough. At the end of the day, will you say to God, I love my stuff and used you, or I loved you and used all this stuff that you've given me for your kingdom? Really, the, the amount of money is irrelevant. What's relevant is whose are you and what will you do about it? Remember, God loves you even if you walk away from an opportunity of a lifetime. Let me give you this illustration, then we'll, we'll be finished. Most of us who are over 30 understand the idea of uh, behind the statement, um, you don't want to give him a blank check. Okay? The thought is that you shouldn't sign a check with no payable amount filled in and give it to, let's say, your contractor. Um, giving him or her free reign to charge whatever they want to. What, what Jesus is asking this young man, he asks us to. He's asking for a blank check. He's looking for us to put our yes on the table before we even know what the question is. He's looking for us to write a check, sign a check, date the check, and leave the amount wide open, totally blank, and hand it to him. In contrast to signing a blank check, most of us prefer the gift card approach. With a gift card, you know exactly what you're on the hook for. When the gift card is used up, it's not your problem. If your friend wants to use that $25 birthday gift card that you give him to buy an 84-inch TV, and he still owes $1,900 to bring it home, that's on him. It's not on you to recharge your gift card. A gift card allows you to remain in control of your generosity. 
God is not keen on gift cards. He prefers a blank check. Jesus doesn't mind at all to talk about money. And if you've listened to me at all over the years, you realize that money is at the heart of so many of his parables, the focus of his teaching. He talks about money often. He challenges the wealthy. He challenges the not-so-wealthy. He knows that money flows in the direction of what's at the center of our heart. So he pushes. He pushes this young, wealthy, prominent man. He pushes him pretty hard because he knows how money can so easily become an idol we worship. We never have enough. We seldom let it go. And we always have a reason that sounds good to our ears, our own ears, to keep it. While Jesus is calmly, consistently, and courageously saying the same words over and over and over to us, give it away. Give it away. It's not yours anyway. Give it away. Let it, he tells us money won't do for us what we think it will. Give it away. He tells us money won't secure our future like we think it will. Give it away. He tells us money won't make us important, more notable like we expect it will. Give it away. He tells us money is the conduit Satan travels to overtake our heart. Give it away. Give it away and see what adventure awaits you now that your hands are empty. Take Jesus by the hand and see what you can find out by being loved by this great and generous God. Let's stand together and sing.